As we uh, continue this morning in our sermon series of the Sermon on the Mount, I've got a question for you. Uh, who here this week took time uh, to watch a video on YouTube? Anybody watch a video on YouTube this week? Yeah, probably most of us, okay? Uh, and many, if not all of us, have watched a YouTube video at, su- video at some point in our life. Uh, YouTube and social media are very interesting things, aren't they? Because there are two sides to them. On one side, there is a nearless, endless amount of content from, I learned this week, lots of videos about how to fix my dishwasher. Uh, And there are clips of comedians and individuals doing some of the craziest and most amazing things. You can learn uh, useful things, money-saving tips, life hacks, or you could consume useless information and content. However, there's another side to YouTube and social media, and that's our side, the human side, the observer who who makes a snap judgment as to whether or not they will uh, watch a video on YouTube. Uh, YouTube and social media apps have endless amounts of data and analytics that they gather about us who watch. And and those analytics are given to people like producers and influencers and content makers. Uh, One creator said this, one thing that I've learned is that most people make a snap decision within a few seconds about whether or not they are going to keep watching. I mean, just think about how fast your thumb moves up on the screen as you go through content. It's very likely that many of you, as I've started our time together, you've decided right now or already whether or not you're going to listen to me or not. If I don't make sense, if I don't sound the way you think I ought to sound, if what I'm saying may seem irrelevant, Or maybe I'm not as handsome as a pastor as you expected this morning. I I agree, brother. I agree. Thank you so much. Um, But if you've stuck with me to this point, then something has piqued your interest. Something seems relevant, understandable. So if you will give me a fair shake this morning... And listen to what God has to say, not just what I have to say, but what God has to say for us this morning from his word. You see, what this really reveals about us, even in how we move our thumbs on social media and YouTube content, what it reveals to us is that we are actually highly judgmental people. We at times, in an instant, without much thought or mental effort, We compare, we categorize, we compartmentalize, and we make judgment calls about a multitude of moments, circumstances, and individuals as we live and breathe and have our way in this world. So today, in our continuation of the Sermon on the Mount, we're going to see what Jesus has to say about the true disciples' judgment. And who is actually supposed to be at the center of such scrutiny and examination? So if you have a copy of God's word, I want to encourage you to open it up to Matthew chapter 7. If you don't have a copy of God's word and want one or want to use in one, there should be one in the seat back in front of you. If you want one, you're more than welcome to take that. But the text this morning can be found on page 762 of those Bibles. You follow along as I read aloud. Matthew chapter six, 7, verses 1 to 6. Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you seek the speck that is in your brother's eye, but... Do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take that speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck 
out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample you or lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word to us. And Father, I I beg your help at this time that our familiarity with this text, that our interaction with this text, that maybe even our quoting with this text would not get in the way of what you have to say to us about a true disciple's judgment. God, we desperately need your help. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will be working in us right now to see what it means and what Jesus means when he says, do not judge. Father, I thank you for this time. Give us ears to hear. In the name of Christ, amen. Well, if you walk away with anything else this morning, I I pray that you walk away with the main point of the text. And the main point that I think that Jesus is getting to here, which does need some explanation, I'll give you that. But I believe the main point is that true disciples judge. True disciples judge. Now, some of you raised your eyebrows at me because that main point seems to be directly contrary to the words that I just read to you from Jesus and Holy Scripture. But I will tell you, That thinking this way, thinking the way that you just did and going, what are you talking about, Thomas? Actually exposes the very heart of what Jesus is getting at. When you and I think of judgment and hear that we are to judge, we believe that that is always, always judgment that that proceeds from us on to someone else. We judge people. But Jesus is exposing here in 7, 1 to 6, the pharisaical, unrighteous impetus of judgment, which condemns and aims to exact justice on someone else. You see, Jesus teaches here that true disciples are aware of their position in the kingdom of God, and they actually are charitable towards one another and can discern when to move past dogs and pigs who don't understand the holy things of God and despise Jesus. You see, true disciples of the true king judge. They know that they have been forgiven much and are ready and willing to extend compassion, forgiveness, and love rather than condemnation. You see, during this series of the Sermon on the Mount, we've been discovering what it really means to be a true disciple of Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, then, is our source for where we can find what it really means to be a Christian. And what is a Christian? And how does a Christian live in this world? So if you want to know, if you're asking the question today, what does it really look like to follow Jesus? then I would encourage you to read the Sermon on the Mount. True disciples judge, and the one that is at the very epicenter of their judgment is himself or herself, not someone else. So our time is going to be broken up. The rest of our time together is going to be broken up in two main points, okay? The first point I want us to see this morning before we go anywhere into Matthew 7 is I want us to see the foundation of a true disciple's judgment. The foundation of a true disciple's judgment. And then we're going to look at three reasons from Matthew 7 as to why true disciples judge. So the foundation of judgment. Friends, We saw in this text how Jesus exposes the blindness that can often be in our eye by having a plank. But I want you to know that our God is not a blind God. 
He is comprehensively aware of his absolute perfection and holiness. And he is absolutely knowledgeable of your failure to meet that holy and righteous standard. Paul writes in in Romans 3.23, All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And since, friends, we, yes, me included, we have fallen short, he has every right, God has every right to judge us us and punish us because he fully sees who we are and knows us to the uttermost. We deserve God's judgment. Others don't deserve our judgment. You see, God is the most perfect Sovereign, wise, holy, and providential God. And if his standard were turned upon him, he would never fail, he would never miss the mark, nor would he fall short. Yet, God is a gracious and compassionate God. Remember just a few moments ago when we read from Exodus chapter 34. Because instead of judging us and casting us out of his glorious presence, he turns his judgment upon his son that salvation from guilt and shame and condemnation of our sin would be achieved at the cross. Christ secured salvation for blind, hypocritical sinners and rebels like you and like me. And we know that Jesus is of the same essence and substance of his father. One, because he said he said so. He said that I and the father are one. But we also know that after having God's perfect, just wrath poured upon him, being judged in the place of sinners, he was found to be untainted and undefiled by sin. Remember what the writer of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10:12, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins that was himself upon the cross, he sat down at the right hand of God. Jesus was raised from the dead because he was perfect and spotless, judged in the place of sinners, and found unblemished and unstained. It is amazing to know what A.W. Tozer says, that Jesus Christ knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he is the one who loves you the most. Jesus knows the worst about you. Nonetheless, he is the one who loves you most. And he demonstrated his love by dying on the cross in your place. So he conquered sin and death and Satan and judgment that anyone, anyone who trusts in him of being a sinless savior and being judged on their behalf would experience no condemnation at the throne of God. But they would only experience the goodness and mercy and grace of God found in the salvation that Jesus provides. Friends, this is the foundation of God's judgment on us that one was judged in our place. Isaiah 55 says, Now that we know this, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that that he, that is God, may have compassion on him. And to our God, for he will, be, he will abundantly pardon. Friends, today can be the day of salvation where you believe in this good news that one has been judged in your place. I ask you, I beg you to be, believe and repent. Forsake, the wickedness, forsake your wickedness and unrighteousness. Our God is a pardoning God. Do you believe that, friend? Our God pardons sinners. He is compassionate, full of grace and mercy. And He will pour it out on you today. Because He judged His Son in our place. But I'm not naive, friends. 
I know that some of you sitting in here have been on the receiving end of harsh, critical judgment that nearly crushed you. And to those of you who have been judged in this way, I want you to know that you have a Savior who sympathizes with you. You see, Jesus not only submitted himself to God's exact piercing judgment, he also submitted himself to the judgment of men. He was willing and obedient to be judged by the inaccurate, unjust standards of men. He knows, friends, he knows what it is like to be judged unfairly, inaccurately, and hypocritically by men that sought to set themselves in the place of God over him in order to scrutinize him with a sham trial that led him to his crucifixion. Jesus submitted to that. But Jesus was not a mere man subject to the hypocritical unjust judgments of sinful men. He was the God-man who lived a completely sinless life. Like a lamb led to the slaughter, he was silent underneath this unjust condemnation. And since he was indeed the Messiah, condemned by sinful men and a sinless Savior, the Father raised him from the dead. He is the perfect, sinless Redeemer King who lived and died so that you and I might be counted righteous in the eyes of God. So that you and I might escape all judgment, just or unjust, and found to be blameless and counted as sons of God if we are indeed hidden in Christ Jesus. Friends, this is the foundation of our judgment. Have you trusted in this Savior? Have you trusted in the one who has been judged on your behalf? Jesus was indeed judged in our place, but he was vindicated. And now he extends hope and healing and forgiveness and righteousness to undeserving sinners who believe in him, repent of their sins and follow him as a true disciple of the true king. So if this is our foundation of our judgment as disciples of Jesus, then what are the three reasons that Jesus shows us here as to why true disciples judge? Look with me back in verses 1 and 2. What does Jesus say? Judge not that you be not judged. For the judgment you pronounce will be judged or, no, for the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. One thing that we know about this text as we start out. It is that it is a widely known and familiar text to even the most pagan of people. And it is often misunderstood and misapplied. You see, judging is not merely a simple decision to listen to a sermon or watch some content. I mean, there are indeed sermons that you should listen to and there are videos with much scrutiny and clarity from God's word that you should abstain from. But making judgment calls and being discerning is one of our, as a human being made in the image of God, it is one of our most valuable faculties. Jesus here is in keeping with many places throughout the New Testament. He's not prohibiting an absolute abolition of every act of judgment. I mean, he's going to go on and say, if you've read further down in Matthew chapter 7, he's going to say in Matthew chapter 7 verse 20 that we must judge others by their fruit. He's also going to say just before that in Matthew 7, 15, that we as God's people, we must be able to make a judgment call to distinguish between sheep and wolves. Jesus is not completely abolishing uh, judgment as this is some absolute prohibition as some in the world would have us think. He's being consistent with the New Testament. 
You see, the type of judging that Jesus is speaking of here in verses 1 and 2 it is a judgment that culminates in condemnation. It culminates in condemnation. Uh, one looks upon another and sees the sin and the shortcoming and condemns them, specifically even with a harsh tone or treatment. You see, the Pharisees at this time, which is one of the things that Jesus addresses, uh, is how the Pharisees were living and how they were being bad examples to God's people. The Pharisees took it upon themselves to go throughout the streets, passing censorious and unjust judgment upon others while being blind to their own glaring faults. In particular, Jesus is calling for his disciples not to set themselves over others as unscrupulous officials and magistrates. Jesus not giving us some kind of special authority to, to ascend to the throne of God. If we set ourselves over others, then we are attempting to, place, to take the place of God, friend. Jesus also addresses here the hypocrisy of human judgment that holds others accountable for minor faults. Yet, the one who judges allows for unhindered lust and desires and sinful actions in their own life. You see, one of the things that the Pharisees did was they would go throughout the streets and call people out to account for the ways in which they weren't living up to the standard of God. But in their private homes, they had made up a list of rules and regulations to actually circumvent the law for themselves. What unholiness that they were practicing. You see, the one who judges hypocritically is being partial by censoring others in ways that he would never censor himself. And this is actually unexcusable and self-condemning. And Jesus calls out the unjust nature of judgments that we often make against others here. You see, we often unfairly and unjustly condemn and censor others with standards or measures that we would never want used to examine our own lives. The supposed follower of Jesus that takes it upon himself to judge in the way that Christ exposes here usurps the place of God in his relationship with others. So why then are we so ready as human beings to form condemning judgments of others? I believe one of the greatest reasons that we are so quick to do this and disobey this text is because we have such a high view of ourselves and our standards that when they are violated, we must make it known. Just think about how if something goes wrong in the home between you and your wife and how quickly you are ready to point it out in her or in him because they didn't meet your expectations. They violated your standards. I also think that we or I believe that we also highly believe ourselves or we think highly of ourselves when we believe that we are the utmost and faithful keepers of God's commands. I mean, I, I'm the most faithful person in the room. I don't know what you guys are doing, but, but I'm getting it right. OK, Lord. <clears throat> no, but that's what we do, friends. Somehow that since we are the best keepers of God's law, now we can go to others and point to them about how they're not keeping God's law. And we condemn them for their disobedience and their unfaithfulness. In each of these cases, we become we become the measure and the law book used to measure others. If we're truly honest with ourselves, friends, we would realize that we would not want the same measure and standard turned upon us. Although we think ourselves to be obedient. But we know when we look ourselves in the mirror, we know 
that we don't even meet our own standards. If we're really, really honest with ourselves. Therefore, we are more charitable with others, or we are, we are more charitable with ourselves and our motives than we are with anyone else. We love the law of charity when it's applied to us. The true disciple of Christ is to conduct himself in a manner exactly in the reverse, though. Unsparing judgment of himself and refusing to ever invade the office of God where others are concerned. True disciples of Christ are to conduct themselves in a manner that is exactly in the reverse of what we see Jesus exposing here. We are to have an unsparing, unscrupulous eye turned upon ourselves and refuse to be like God and judge others. Jesus then is calling his disciples to refrain from any form of unfair and partial standard in judgment. If being a disciple were merely about a rigid obedience to the law or our own standards, then friends, we would be living in such a way that would completely overturn the gospel of Jesus Christ. It would mean that if we measure up, if we meet the law, if we satisfy the criteria, then we don't need Jesus. Friends, we all need Jesus. We need him to be the hero of our lives and the story of the world. I mean, Jesus lived a perfectly sinless life. I don't know how many times I've sinned since I woke up this morning. And that's just today, friend. True disciples realize that they are not God and do not know the hearts of men. We are insufficient judges of the motives of men. Additionally, because we're sinful, even if we attempt to use the law of God to use as the standard, we know that we're prone to misuse it and misapply it because we think when we use it, it's all about obedience to the law. When God says, you're never going to be able to do it. I'm holy, you're not. I'm the creator, you're the creation. You will never meet my standard, so you must trust in me. I'm a God of compassion. I'm a God of mercy and grace. I forgive sinners. I pardon sinners. And he pardons us through his son, Jesus. So we must, we must judge ourselves because we are unable to ever completely meet the standard of God's holiness. Brothers and sisters. At such a crucial time in the history of our nations, one of the clearest ways that we can demonstrate the character of God and Jesus is to be slow in casting these types of judgments on women who will be facing crises as they carry unplanned pregnancies to term. One of the clearest ways that we can demonstrate this kind of love and ministry is by serving women who will be in crisis going forward. We must not be quick to judge them and discard them for their decisions and choices. Although I will admit they may be sinful. Rather, we as God's people must be holy as our God and Father is holy. We must respond with compassion and grace and mercy, friends. And in the fall, I want you to keep your eyes open and your calendars open because we are going to be finalizing a partnership with the Capitol Hill Pregnancy Center. I want you to think about your life and your time and your talents and your abilities and wonder how you can serve mothers who will be in crisis in the coming days, weeks, and months. We are going to aim to serve them as Pillar Church of Washington, D.C., in our partnership with the Pregnancy Center here on Capitol Hill. So, the first reason why disciples judge themselves or judge at all is because we know we are not God. The second reason that we judge 
is that we desperately need introspection. We need introspection. Look look with me back at verses 3 to 5. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice that the log that is in your own eye? Or, Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is a log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First, take the log out of your own eye. Then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Here, Jesus employs hyperbole. It's a common teaching tool that he uses throughout the New Testament as he goes around teaching for three years. And he points out how easy it is for us and his disciples to see the sin in others while overlooking our own sin. The speck here that Jesus is talking about is literally a small, tiny piece of sawdust that might be in your brother's eye. And the log is actually in the Greek, it's translated as a large plank or a huge beam. That's like a roof rafter that holds all the other smaller roof rafters. It's like this. It's like if you were completely blindfolded and in the dark and you took a pair of tweezers to your friend who had a small speck of dust in their eye and said, let me get that out. Let me get that out. Come here. I, I don't know about you, but I wouldn't want anybody coming at me with tweezers in the dark, even if they didn't weren't blindfolded. Okay? I wouldn't want it to happen to me, and nor would you want it to happen to you, and we wouldn't attempt such a thing to our brothers and sisters. And notice, it is family language that Jesus is using when you go to your brother, and by implication, your sister. And then Paul, consistent with Jesus' teaching here, writes about how it is our responsibility to actually judge one another. In 1 Corinthians chapter 5, verses 12 and 13, you see Jesus is calling here, though, for much introspection before we go to the other. We need to do some heart-searching work before we go to say, hey, you got that sin in your life. It looks like you've been struggling with this. Well, brother and sister, have you been struggling with that? You see, the point here is not that we would compare whose sin is worse by analyzing the difference between a speck and a plank. The the point here is to recognize that each of us, each of us have sin and that you and I are the chief of sinners. You're the I'm the chief of sinners. You're the chief of sinners. Sorry, I lost my place. Even if my brother and sister are partaking in sin, am I, am I taking the time to go to the Lord and and asking him to expose the same sin that I see in my brother or my sister? Am I asking him to shine his holy standard upon my heart to expose how sinful I am? Or am I just looking to get the speck out of my brother's eye while going around blind as a bat, as some would say. Additionally, those who are self-examining and submitted to God's comprehensive view of himself will be slow as God is slow with with the judgment of condemnation and anger towards those who sin. You see, true disciples are gracious and rarely, if ever, judge others without a humble, clear examination of ourselves accompanied by a confident admission that we are not God. Then, even when we try to judge, we must humbly ask for wisdom because we are woefully unskilled, ungodly, and unqualified to make such judgment even on ourselves. 
I mean, think about the blindness that Jesus is exposing here. We are so blind to our sins, brothers and sisters. I mean, just think, like, think about some of the blind spots that are being revealed of our brothers and sisters from hundreds of years ago as we read their works today. What blind spots will be revealed about us hundreds of years from today? Seek not to be blind before you go to try to pluck specks out of your brothers and sisters' eyes, friends. So, so I want to ask you, I want to ask you to do this next time you get ready to go to a member or another brother and sister in Christ to talk with them about their sin. I want you to do this. I want you to ask God to reveal in your life where you fall short of the same sin. I want you to seek forgiveness and repent of that sin. And then, and only then, do you go to your brother or sister in Christ and talk to them about their sin. And since Jesus is not completely abolishing the need for judgment, and there is indeed an expectation that we would go to one another and dress the sin, I mean, Jesus says, once you get the plank out of your eye, then go to your brother. Okay? There is that expectation here. How then should we respond when someone actually comes to us to point out sin? When a brother or sister approaches us about sin in our life, here's how you should think. Think charitably of them, believing that they have done the due diligence to ask the Holy Spirit to search their hearts before they came to you. Hold them in high regard. And we should trust if they've done that work, then the Holy Spirit has done what He's done and He's removed sin from our brother and sister if they're coming to talk to us. But I'm afraid, friends, that such charity towards one another is nearly unthinkable because of how highly we think of ourselves today. Often, when someone comes at us with a, to expose sin in our, high, our lives, we get defensive and we question their motives. We question, who do you think you are coming to talk to me about this? Or, or we were like, why, why are you judging me? Rather, friends, true disciples are to act maturely instead of acting like children who get mad on the playground and isolate themselves from others when things don't go as they expected. You see, true disciples of the true king who is walking with God, who is painfully conscious of the plague of his heart, who is in some measure at, at least sees himself as God sees him, is thoroughly aware of his awful corruptions. He has many inward and outward defects and he knows quite well that the worst of men, that the worst men can say against him falls short of the estimate that he has of himself. The one who unsparingly judges himself is unruffled by the criticisms of others. The one who unsparingly judges himself is unruffled by the criticisms of others. So the first reason that true disciples judge is that we are not God. And secondly, we do not need introspect or we need introspection. And third, we see that we need much discernment. Look with me back at verse six. Do not give dogs what is holy and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Unfortunately, in first century Judaism and in the day of Jesus, dogs were not the cute, cuddly house pets that we think they are today. Rather, dogs were of the worst of scavengers. They were wild. They were associated with what was unclean. And they were often despised rather than invited into the house to have a cozy spot by the fireplace. And pigs were no better. Okay? Pigs 
are not considered in any better light. The, the pigs are not only unclean, but they're wild and vicious. And they were capable of savage action against a person. I don't know if you, I mean, we talked about YouTube earlier. I don't know if you've watched any of those boar hunting videos. Like those guys are standing in the bushes. Like there's a hog in there. And all of a sudden the hog runs out and knocks him over and keeps running. Like these, these pigs were no different except for they were roaming around in the agricultural society in which they lived. You see, pigs and dogs here, even in the Jewish context of the first century, were not animals that you wanted to be around. We also must realize here that this reference to pigs and dogs can often be attributed to talking about the Gentiles, but but this is not a reference to Gentiles here. Pigs and dogs, then, were individuals who give us clear evidence of rejecting the gospel with vicious scorn and hardened contempt. Jesus is referencing people who actually hate hearing what he has to say. People who will turn on us when we go go to them with charity and love and mercy to hold out the gospel to them that they might repent. Jesus warned us that he was judged by men, killed by the religious leaders of the day. And if they persecuted him, they were surely going to persecute his people. There will be people in our lives that are pigs and dogs. They will hate us. They won't want to hear this good news. And they will turn on us to devour us. And friends, I think we are entering a day where that is going to become more and more realistic in our lives as we hold firm to the truth of God and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we seek to share it with all who need to hear. You see, as the gospel spread throughout the time after Jesus' death, one thing that was true that we see over and over again throughout the rest of the New Testament and Acts, that there will be people who hate and despise us when we speak the truth in love. And Jesus even reveals later in Matthew, as he sends out his disciples into the towns and into the cities and into the homes where people desperately needed to hear the good news of Jesus, that they would not receive the good news. Listen to Matthew 10, uh, 10, 14 and 15. If anyone will not receive you, this is Jesus' words to his disciples, if Anyone will not receive you or listen to your words. Shake off the dust from your feet when you leave that town or that house. Truly, I say to you, it will be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than that town. Friends, you and I need to have discernment from Jesus on when to know to shut down the conversation and move on. We lack this kind of discernment. We want to win arguments. We want to win over hearts and minds. So we try to force the issue when all it does is drive people to hate us even more. And so we need great, great discernment when to know to eject from a conversation. And we will. We will have to leave people in situations where we, it is clear that they do not know Jesus and they hate God's people and they hate God and our, yet our heart longs for them to repent. But brothers and sisters, we're not God. We can't make them repent. Only God can convict them of their sin. We're not the Holy Spirit. It's not our job. It's not our role to convict people of their sin. And if people turn on us, and are vicious towards us? Will we be like our Savior who endured their punishments and their scorn? Will we walk away? Will we dust off the sandals of our feet? We lack discernment. You see, true disciples then judge themselves because they know that they are not God. They know that they need much introspection and that we often are in great lack of the discernment that Jesus calls for here. So how then so how then are disciples to judge themselves before turning to others? 
You see, if we are true disciples of the true king, then we know that Jesus has been judged instead of us. We must realize that we need help if we are to ever avoid others, or if we are ever to come to others' aid in fighting against sin. We're not God. We're prone to look outward rather than inward. We lack discernment. So what should we do? How should we respond? Well, first, instead of making snap judgments in people, I want you to do this. Now, I learned this from, from a lady uh, on, uh, in a TED Talk about making judgments because she suffered from a rare form of dwarfism where uh, she continued to age, but she only stayed at four foot five inches, but, but stayed at regular proportions as well as she aged. And oftentimes, when she was around people, she often got judged. She said she was even at Costco one time where she was with all of her friends, and the, she was wanting to take a sample, and the, the person handing out the samples looked at her friends and says, is she old enough to have a sample? She used this acronym. She says, we need to stop. We actually need to see the other person. Stop. See the other person. Realize that they are just as much a creature as you are. They are just as human as you are. And stopping allows us to take time to remember not their sin, but our sin. And particularly the ways that we've even struggled with the same sin, either currently or in the past. In stopping, we need to remember that we have been forgiven much. And what does Paul write in Ephesians 4.32? Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And friends, this will not be easy, okay? We were born with a sinful nature and we are still walking around with sinful, corrupted flesh. Although if we are a true disciple, God has changed our heart. Our experience and our flesh will want to make snap judgments that are harsh and breed division among us. We will need the help of the Holy Spirit to see the other person, to stop, to bring compassion, grace, and mercy rather than condemnation. Will you stop the next time that your mind and heart want to act in judgment towards another? The the second thing that we can do and how we can judge ourselves before we judge others in going to others, is that we should respect, regard, and respond to the ones that we initially want to categorize, judge, and condemn. We should respect, regard, and respond. So respect the other person. The person you judge is a fellow image bearer. They were just as much as Aaron prayed earlier, knit together in their mother's womb as you were. They have the same dignity, value, and worth that you have. They should, at a minimum, be respected as a fellow human and fellow pilgrim on the way. Next, regard them. Think of them more highly than you consider yourself. Hold them in high esteem, as we talked about earlier. Consider them worthy of just as much compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness that you have received. How can we forgive? Because God has forgiven us. Friends, what would this world be like if we extended more forgiveness than we did condemnation? Respect them, regard them, and respond to them. You are called to love them and seek their benefit. Seek their benefit, not belittle them. And minister them with good works that they may see your Father in heaven and glorify Him. Isn't that the aim of our life? Not to see how well we got it going on, not to see how good and how obedient we are, but to know, to point to Jesus and to point to God our Father in heaven. Take a moment in your response to edify them with something good you see in them or something good you know that they have done. Respond by thinking of ways to encourage and edify the person before we seek to correct them. And there are likely places that you can point to faithfulness in their life before you call out their sinfulness. 
And like the actor Julie Andrews said in that wonderful uh, musical, a spoonful of honey helps the medicine go down. Or no, no, who's that? Sugar. Oh, sure. Oh, wow. A spoonful of honey helps the medicine go down, says Thomas Hudson. Okay. I mean, respond to them with grace and kindness. Respond to them with the same gentleness that our Savior came to you with when you were at the end of your rope, wallowing in your sin, and needed a Savior. We're not their Savior, but we can surely point them to the, to the Savior if we respond to them with compassion and grace and mercy. You see, friends, the good news is that Jesus was judged in our place, to be the, and that should be our foundation, our starting point. Jesus was judged and died the death that sinners deserve to die, but he was found to be perfect and sinless by his Father. And being judged in our place, we know that we are not under any condemnation if we are indeed in him. Therefore, true disciples of the true king do not seek to condemn others in judgment. Instead of judging others, the true disciple judges himself or herself first. We know that we're not God and we should never seek to put ourselves in such a position. How dangerous we tread when we do such a thing. We need introspection informed by the Holy Spirit to root out sin in us before we ever go to our brother and sister and help root out sin in them. And lastly, true disciples judge themselves because we often lack discernment and wisdom as we make Christ known to one another and to the world. How will you stop this week? How will you see the other person? How will you see your brother and sister? And how will you take steps to respect regard, respect and regard one another before you respond to one another? Let us pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, we desperately need your help. God, I, I pray that you would come to our aid now, that you would expose sin in us, that we would be a repentant people, that we would trust in our Savior, that we would know that we rest, that there is no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And Father, I pray that as we realize our position in your kingdom, we know that there, is many, we know that there are many flaws in us, Father, God, give us wisdom and discernment. May we love one another and go to one another only after submitting ourselves to your ways and to the Holy Spirit. Father, help us. Help us be judges of ourselves before we are judges of others. We pray all of these things and ask them in the name of our mighty and matchless Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.